Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verses 6 and 7. So please stand if you're able for reading from the New Testament. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Please be seated. Well, before we begin our sermon this morning, I want to draw your attention to a few things. Um, I just got word before I came up here that the Pitchford's son, one of their sons, uh, Raphael, is, has just been admitted to hospital and I want to ask you to pray for him, pray for them. He has what I'm told is a rare syndrome called Kawasaki syndrome that affects the vascular system and can happen in young children. And so it's a scary time for them, and so we want to be in prayer for the Pitchfords. Also want to um, remind you, if you haven't heard yet, uh, if, uh, let you know and remind those who have heard that we're going to have a service of lament and renewal tonight here uh, in the sanctuary from 7 to 8 p.m. I want to invite you to that, a time to reflect on the events of the past year, year and a half, and spend some time uh, in prayer with the Lord in lament and renewal and asking for healing. Also want to mention that we're going to have uh, a memorial service for Mike White's mother who recently passed. That's going to be tomorrow, 3 o'clock here, and want to uh, be there to uh, grieve with them, but also to celebrate her life and to encourage the White family at this time. So 3 o'clock tomorrow here at Stony Point. And last but not least, uh, we had a men's ministry event this past Friday, which involved some fishing and playing cornhole out at Michael Bryant's large property that he has out there on a pond in Palatan. Um, Dan Holland and I made it to the semifinal, the last round of the cornhole tournament, and we lost by one point, and we're not bitter about that. Michael... <laughs> Michael and James Murphy beat us and we're ready to, uh, for a rubber match the next go-round. But I um, want to let you know that we're going to have two more of these men's gatherings. We had 40 or so guys there and it was a great time together, a great time for new people too to connect. So invite men or wives, send your men to the next events July 10 and August 5th. July 10 will be paintball at Chad White's Slingshot Paintball and August 5th is going to be barbecue and I've heard there may even be axe throwing at this event. So if you have some <laughs> pent-up aggression, things that you need to get out, come to Zach's on August 5th. Let me pray before we begin our sermon and take a look at the life of Noah. Lord, we struggle to live lives of faith. We struggle to see what we can't see. And so we need you, we need your word, we need the scriptures and the truth that is found in the scriptures. Lord, this morning we need you to speak to us. 
and to open our eyes. I pray for those who are lost, who have not ever heard from you, who have not found you, to have their eyes open, to have eyes of faith. And Lord, for those of us who do have faith, who have trusted in you, to be reminded of what we know. Lord, free us from spiritual amnesia and lethargy this morning and give us something to look forward to, to hope in. Help us to see what's to come. In your name I pray. Amen. Well, we're continuing, uh, if you're just joining us for the first time, we're continuing our series in Hebrews 11. We're going to be in Hebrews 11 for the rest of the summer, looking at these characters from the Old Testament, this hall of faith, these people who have trusted the Lord in faith and have been commended for their faith. So this morning we come to Noah, and let me reread those short verses again for you as we look at the life of Noah. And without faith... It is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What is so remarkable about Noah's faith? Why is he, in the building of an ark, commended for his faith for for all time? Why do we look back and remember him this morning and what he did at God's command? Well, to understand what Noah did and why he did it, what motivated him, where his heart was when God called him to do this act of building the ark, we have to understand his world. He was most likely lived in the land of Mesopotamia, the area in and around what is modern-day Iraq, And God came to him, God spoke to Noah and said, because mankind has become so corrupt, so evil, in Genesis 6, 5, that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. That that summed up the world at the time. There was incredible violence. There was taking of life. What began back with Cain and Abel, you might remember we looked at a couple weeks ago, the spilling of blood by one brother, To another who took his life, the blood spills out on the ground and in a sense stains the earth as well. God says, I've had enough. Like an artist who has created his masterpiece and the masterpiece is being destroyed and vandalized and corrupted. He says, I need to put a stop to this and hit the reset button in a sense to say it's time to start over. But... Before he does so, he finds Noah, who is a righteous man of faith. It says Noah finds favor in God's eyes, not because he is a perfect human being. No one was until the time of Christ. But he is a righteous man, relatively speaking. He obeys God. He walks with him, as we looked at that concept last week. And so God finds in Noah a desire to please him. As we read in verse 6, it is impossible to please him without faith. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That was Noah. Noah was seeking God and seeking to walk with him. So God decides to send a flood to destroy humanity, to create a new creation in a sense. And God commands Noah to to build an ark. And interestingly, God gives very specific dimensions to this ark. The ark is going to be 450 feet long. It's about one and a half American football fields. 
75 feet wide, 45 feet high, and God gives him specific instructions for how this ark of gopher wood is to be built. And he says, Behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you, Noah, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Of course, we also know that he instructs uh, Noah to bring a male and a female of each kind of animal into the ark, and his plan is to repopulate the world through Noah, through this one man and his family. And Noah responds in faith. It says, Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. And what an incredible act of faith. There had never been a flood like this. But Noah believes that God exists. And if he exists, he is the creator. And just as he has revealed himself to be, Noah believes that he must listen to God to trust and to obey him. So when God says something incredible and unprecedented is about to happen in the future, and I want you to shape your life around it, I want you to begin building this ark, which some commentators think could have taken up to 100 years to build, Noah drops everything and begins building the ark. And this is in keeping with our definition of what it means to have faith. At a street level, to have faith, it's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. One commentator puts it like this in regards to Noah. He says, Noah shows faith in action oriented to the future. Faith is always forward-looking. It's always looking to what's going to happen as God has revealed it in the future and shaping our lives accordingly. Can't you just imagine Noah with his sons and family members Maybe some hired workers helping to build the ark. I don't know. It doesn't say. But they're building the frame of this massive ark, this massive ship, larger than anything that has ever been put out on the ocean. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high, and they're doing it on dry land. He's spending his life savings on this, on the building materials. And we don't know for sure how long it took, but... As I said before, it could have taken a hundred years, and as Noah swung the hammer and sawed the wood and built his ark, people would have come from far and wide, right? What better conversation starter than this? Noah, what in the world are you doing? Why are you building this 450-foot boat? They think he's crazy. Second Peter says, Noah is considered a preacher of righteousness, and from that, we can, de- we can deduce that he would have made it known to all who would hear, all who would listen. The Lord has told me he's going to send a flood. And God, in his grace and his mercy, makes it a long, drawn-out process for this boat to be built so he can preach to as many people as possible. But no one would listen. He didn't keep it a secret. He spent many decades working on this boat But he was the only one who, in reverent fear, built the ark. See, true faith is always followed by radical obedience. That's what it meant for Noah to have faith. When God spoke to him, he responds in faith and acts, and he begins building the ark. And I think part of why God gave these very specific dimensions of the ark were to teach Noah something about obedience. 
Don't just follow me. Don't just obey me as a general principle, but do exactly as I have commanded you. Measure twice, cut once, Noah. And notice the importance of reverent fear because humility is what brings faith. Humility says, I can't figure this out on my own. Humility says, I'm created by a God who knows and sees all and I would do well to listen to him. That's why it says about Noah, in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Without humility, he could not have been used by God to save his household. Humility says, if I choose not to listen to him and to his warning, I do so at my own peril. And it's pride that causes us to ignore God's warnings. I love Proverbs 3. This, every time I have to make a major decision in life, I come to Proverbs 3, which says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Faith is trusting in him with all your heart and not leaning on your own ability to figure it out. And God is always merciful and long-suffering in his dealings with humanity. But without faith, which causes a heart of reverent fear, no one would listen. I think one of the reasons God asks Noah to build this giant ship on dry land in God's brilliance in a way that would have attracted people, people for miles. You've got to see this spectacle. You've got to see what this man Noah is building. It's like a giant billboard, right? We have billboards at the entrance of our city. If you're driving down I-64, we have billboards that are strategically placed as you enter the city of Richmond. Why? Because everyone who passes through Richmond will see those billboards. It's a giant advertisement advertising whatever law firm or whatever needs to be advertised. And God is doing the same thing as he has Noah build this massive ark for many decades. And people from far and wide consider what's about to happen. Why has God instructed this man, this man that we know to be righteous, this man who's not violent or corrupt like many others, why is he having his family build this massive ark and without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. That is Noah. And it's Noah against the backdrop of a, of a corrupt and a violent humanity. So Noah does show commendable faith in that he hears God's warning and he builds the ark with full anticipation that God will act on his word. Even though it's never happened before, he trusts more in God's promises that the flood will come than his own ability to observe what's happened prior to this event. The promise to send a flood. Noah he heeds God's warning. So we have a warning. We also have a saving. God uses Noah. He warns Noah. Noah listens to God's warning, but he's also going to use Noah to save by faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for what? For the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world. You know, many of us have questions on the topic of salvation. What does it mean to be saved? How can I be saved? How can I be sure that I'm going to be saved or I have been saved? 
And I want you to see that as this story of Noah and his family being rescued unfolds, and we see the story of the flood, it speaks volumes about the nature of salvation. So this story about Noah and his family entering an ark and being saved from a flood can help you today understand what it means to be saved. After Noah finally completes the the construction of the ark, God tells him and his family to enter the ark through the door. I imagine it was a bit noisy, smelly, chaotic, crowded in this ark. They've all entered the ark per Noah's direction. His family shut in the ark. God says in Genesis, the door was closed and God shut them in. This was the point of no return. They're shut in the ark, and what do they do next? They wait. And they wait. And they wonder in faith, is God, you know, was all this just a hoax? Or is God really going to make good on his word and send the flood? Meanwhile, we know that everyone else on earth was going about their business as usual. Maybe it was a slightly overcast day, I imagine a Mesopotamian man walking alongside the road, maybe one of Noah's neighbors, walking along a dusty road with his mind on, who knows, his family, his business, his farm, what he's going to do that afternoon, what he's going to do the next day. And as he's walking along in this dry, arid land, he feels something wet on the back of his neck. He says, huh, that's strange. What just spat on me? Or where did that water come from? But he keeps walking, maybe he's looking at the ground, and he sees what appears to be a giant drop of water fall from the sky and make a small crater in the dust. And he looks up to the sky and sees walls of rain. It says in Genesis, this is how in poetry it describes what happened. On that day, all the fountains of the deep, of the great deep, burst forth. And the windows of the heavens were opened. This wasn't rain. This was a waterfall from the heavens. And rain fell upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. Rain was coming from every direction. And this was the point of no return. If you were not shut into the ark at this point, it was too late. God's justice was finally unleashed. He had seen enough death and destruction. And his wrath spilled over and spilled out like the waters through the windows of the heavens as they were opened. It would have been possible to somehow stay afloat on your own. It would have been too late to fashion some kind of a raft or to swim your way out of this because it's going to rain for 40 days and 40 nights. There's only one way into the ark. And once that ark is shut and once God sends his rain of judgment, it's too late So what does this say about salvation? You and I have an ark, excuse me, you and I have not an ark made of wood, but an even more conspicuous, obvious, out in the open symbol of salvation. Not an ark of wood, but a cross of wood. And we look not to Noah, but to a better and more perfect savior in Jesus Christ, who has said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 
Notice the verse in Hebrews says, Noah constructed the ark for the saving of his household, and by this he condemned the world. You know, I struggled as I came across that verse. What does that mean to say that Noah condemned the world? It's not as though Noah was going around pointing a finger, judging, condemning. Rather, his faith, his obedience, and his proclamation that there's only one way to be saved from the flood is in itself a condemnation of the world. The fact that he built this giant ark for all to see, he preached a message of repentance so that no one could say, well, nobody ever told me that the flood was coming. They were warned. And God in his grace and mercy continues to warn us today. He gives us this symbol. There's no more recognized symbol in all of humanity, is there, than the symbol of the cross. We see it everywhere we look. And the minute the first raindrop falls to the earth, there is a simultaneous saving of Noah and his family and judgment of the world. Matthew 24 puts it like this. In Jesus' own words, he says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. The day and the hour meaning not when the flood comes, but when Christ returns. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as we're in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage, going about business as usual in their day-to-day lives, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. Noah heard God's warning and in faith constructed the ark, looking forward to what God had promised, and in so doing was saved through this faith. Faith is always forward-looking. Faith is more concerned with the vertical than the horizontal. You see, these people are concerned with the horizontal, eating, drinking, marrying, and giving, mar- giving in marriage. Can you relate? Playing the next round of golf. The next fun trip that we have planned. Students, some of you are graduating and are excited to celebrate and we want to celebrate with you. But are we distracted? Rather than thinking what God has next for us, are we only focusing on ourselves and what's happening in our own work? The next move, the next promotion, finding the right house, which is a difficult thing to do right now. I don't want to remind you this morning that because we all struggle with spiritual amnesia, that always leads to spiritual lethargy or laziness, Christ has promised that he will return and we must be reminded of the fact that Christ will return. That's what it means to have faith. Noah had faith. He could see the things to come. He heard the warning and he was used by God to save. 2 Peter 3 puts it like this. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." Just like a thief in the night, it will come unexpectedly. Will we be like Noah, worshiping and walking with him, with our heavenly father, or will we be distracted? 
And we have the opportunity in God's mercy up until that very moment, just like I think of that thief on the cross with Jesus as they're both crucified. The thief turns to Jesus and Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. It's never too late until it is finally too late. And so whether you are a follower of Christ or not this morning, the call is the same. To listen to God and to take him at his word and to center your life around it. If you're not yet a believer, enter the ark today. Look to the cross of salvation today before it's too late. And if you are a believer, focus your gaze on Christ on things that are vertical, on your heavenly Father, and walk with him daily and center your life, not on these horizontal pursuits, but on Christ, who is our greater possession, longing for his return. And finally, the inheritance of righteousness. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. It goes on to say that by, by this, Noah condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. What does it mean for Noah to be an heir of the righteousness, to receive this inheritance of righteousness that comes by faith? You know, as you look back at the story in Genesis, God truly does do an incredible thing for Noah and his family, this incredible work of salvation after decades, maybe a hundred years of building the ark. Noah is around 600 years old. Prior to the flood, he's been considered blameless. He's been walking with God, pleasing him. God rescues him and his family. God makes a covenant promise with him. It's a beautiful passage as you look at what happens after they exit the ark. God makes this covenant promise with them. He promises never to destroy the earth with a flood again. And the symbol of that promise is a rainbow. He promises to bless Noah and his descendants. And what happens in the very next episode? It says Noah became a man of the soil. He planted vineyards. And it says in Genesis 9, he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. His sons discover him and it brings shame and a curse on the family, especially on his son Ham, who would be cursed along with his descendants. And we see what unfolds is this man who was described as righteousness has passed out drunk in his tent. How do we explain that? How could it be said that Noah received an inheritance of righteousness after all the incredible things that God had done for Noah? And he fails big time. If sin continued in his life, and the members of his family, we would see this cycle of sin repeat itself over and over again. This cycle of sin and violence would grow, and it continues on to this day. This is what righteousness we have that comes through faith. You see, the problem for Noah and his family was not the evil in the world outside. You see, they carried evil with them into the ark. And so God used Noah for a warning. God used Noah for salvation, but it wasn't enough because Noah could not be saved from himself. And so we were in need of a true and better Noah, one who could save us once and for all. We need the perfectly righteous Noah 
who is Jesus Christ. Apart from Christ, we, like those described in Genesis 6, have hearts that are always bent towards selfishness and sin, worshiping the wrong things, distracted by those things which are horizontal and not vertical. And so we need a true and better Noah. Let me ask you, um, is your will updated? When was the last time you went into an attorney's office and updated your will? My wife and I did this a few years ago. We felt like we needed to be adults and we have uh, children, so we wanted to think about our children and be responsible human beings. And so we went into an attorney's office and sat down and looked over a plan for our will, what would happen at the end of our lives. It's a little bit morbid, but a nice thing to do for your children. And I know we have several attorneys and tax experts and financial advisors in our congregation, and I thank God for them because I don't always enjoy dealing with these things, and I'm glad that you do that for us. But it is prudent, it is wise to make a plan and to think about our children and their futures. And, and maybe some of you have a will that includes a sizable inheritance. For example, maybe you have property in the family. Maybe you have a 50-acre farm that's been in the family for generations. And your great-great-great-grandparents procured this property and it's been passed down from generation to generation. And maybe one day you will receive that farm or that sizable inheritance. And what do you do with it? The hope is not that you spend it all, but that you pass it along to your children, and they pass it to their children and their children's children. This is the nature of an inheritance. Have you considered the inheritance that you have in Christ as your Savior? It works the same way. This is an, an inheritance of righteousness, a right standing before a holy God, and it is all centered not on the ark of Noah, but on the cross of Christ. Christ gave up everything and became nothing so that you and I could be clothed in righteousness and receive an inheritance that we don't deserve. And it's beyond our wildest dreams. To be an heir of righteousness in Christ means that we can enter the holy places of fellowship with God by the blood of Jesus. Here's what Hebrews 10 says. In verse 19, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. To be an heir of righteousness means that the filthy garments of sin, of selfishness, of idolatry, of violence toward others have been removed and replaced with the perfect clothes of Jesus Christ. We have righteousness. We have an inheritance of righteousness in Christ. And so even a sinful man like Noah, who failed miserably after this flood episode, can receive an inheritance of righteousness. Isaiah 61 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord, for my soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. And this inheritance is passed from generation to generation of those who believe in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there. You see, we have a saving faith in Jesus Christ that's always followed by a life of obedience. So not only do we in a moment receive the righteousness of Christ, but then we begin to live a life of righteousness and of obedience. 
So let me give one final encouragement to you this morning. It's found in, again, in Hebrews 10. Listen carefully to these words. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. COVID has given us the great excuse not to have to come to church, to sit at home in our pajamas and watch from the couch. And many of us have obeyed the instructions that we've been given to stay home, and that's a wonderful thing. But now as we come out of a season of COVID, the question is, what are we longing for? And I understand that for many, it is still wise not to come to church for health reasons, for whatever complications still exist for us with COVID. And so um, this isn't a guilt trip for those who really shouldn't be gathering for corporate worship. But there is a warning, there is an encouragement not to forsake the gathering of God's people. And I'm as guilty as any of, if you're an introvert, maybe it's a little bit easier to stay home and to watch worship from a distance. And the solution is not a guilt trip from a pastor, but the solution is to look to Christ, your inheritance, your better possession, and to say, how could I miss church? How could I not long to be with the other brothers and sisters in Christ who are longing for that day of salvation when Christ returns. So let us heed the warning that Christ will soon return. Look to the cross for salvation that we might receive an inheritance along with Noah and so many before us in perfect righteousness for a new and living way. Let me pray. Jesus, I am as guilty as any of spiritual lethargy, of wanting to do things in a way that's more comfortable, of not always wanting to trust you and walk with you and to live in faith. And so help us to see the faith of Noah, that Noah is this flawed character, but who also acted in faith to build that ark in obedience. And Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that we have a new and better Noah in Jesus Christ. And Jesus, we trust you. We look to the cross for our salvation. We heed the warning and we receive this salvation. And Lord, we thank you for the glorious inheritance that we have of righteousness in Christ. In your name I pray. Amen.